Well, I invite you to open your copy of God's perfect word to Ephesians 3. I'm so thankful for for any opportunity I have to uh, proclaim the, the word of God here. And as we come to God's word today and as we read scripture, may we never cease to marvel that God chose to speak to us, that he chose to communicate to us, that that he delights to reveal himself through his word. And may that fill our hearts with joy and never cease to fill us with awe when we gather together and hear his word. I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect word. We'll be in Ephesians 3, really looking at 1 through 19 as a whole this morning, but I'm going to read the first 13 verses of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, we come humble to your word today, eager, hungry to hear from you, Lord, I ask that right now you would move in our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful truths in your word and in your law, that you would even now conform us to the image of Christ as we set our eyes on him. Would you teach us your mysteries? Would you help us to see and to know and to believe, and to marvel. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. You can be seated. I need that. This is a phrase that we are starting to hear more and more around our home, especially from my three-year-old. I need that. And it's almost always used in context where it's not actually true. Almost always. His brother takes a ball from him. Oh, no, 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 I need that. 
Uh, he says, Daddy, can I have some ice cream before dinner? Yeah, yeah, before di- No, but I need that. More often than not, we probably say something similar. I need that. More often than not, we probably don't actually need that, whatever that may be. But this is an important check for us because when we do find the thing that we actually need most, it defines us. What you believe and are convinced that you need more than anything else defines you. Because it's the thing that you're willing to subvert everything else to. It's the thing that you'll move your schedule around for. It's, it's the priority. It's the thing that you're willing to sacrifice for. What you need most defines you. So what do you believe that you need most? What do you find yourself believing that you need most? For all of us, whether we realize it or not, we need a mystery. At least that's what Paul says. Paul calls it this. In his letter to the Ephesians, to the churches in and around Ephesus, Paul is revealing a glorious, life-changing mystery that the Ephesians, the world, and you need more than anything else. So as we look into this text today, we are looking into the mystery of how God works, both past and present, the future, and the king that is at the center of this mystery. The first thing that we see together is a unifying mystery. In these first six verses here, and we begin with an interruption. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, and just, he says, for this reason, what Paul has been doing up to this point, he has been marveling at how Jesus is the cornerstone of the household of God, uniting those who are, who are far off, those who are most different, and he is saying to the Gentiles, the Ephesians, by extension, any believers who would hear this letter, that they are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And so he says, for, this re- for that reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he interrupts himself. It's a, like, that's a big reason. Like, that's a huge reason to interrupt himself in the middle of. We're, we're sort of left wondering, what, what is the great Apostle Paul doing on behalf of the Gentiles? This interruption, he interrupts himself, and this interruption is going to last for 12 verses. I mean, he very much leaves us on a cliffhanger in this moment. But don't miss it. At the end of these verses, Paul is going to do something so incredible and so bold and so powerful. So with that being said, the interruption. Into the interruption. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul shares that that, that God has given him a message to proclaim, a specifically a mystery. And this message of God's grace was given 
to him for the Gentiles. God shows his grace through revealing, through the revelation of a mystery. And that's what Paul has been given to do, a task he's been given to to steward in some sense. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So whenever Paul is teaching or is writing, those who are receiving this message can peer into this great mystery. We're seeking to do even now. In verse 5, he says, this mystery, it was which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Who revealed this mystery? Again, it's God. The Spirit revealed this mystery. Uh, It's really important for us to see something here. Not every generation knew the revealed mystery. Sometimes we too often take for granted what a blessed people we are to to know that the mystery, what the mystery is, that it's been revealed now and that we know it. In some sense, we know better the unfolding mystery of God's plan than Moses, than Noah, than Abraham. They didn't know his name. And we have a name to this. The name of Christ, Jesus. We know his name. How blessed we are to know the name of Jesus. So what is this mystery that Paul is speaking of? Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is that those who are most different and most estranged from the holy God of the universe have now been reconciled to God and are united as part of the family of God. In this verse, in context, it means that what he's just talked about in chapter 2, those who were far off have become citizens of the kingdom of God. No longer aliens or strangers, is what he said in verse 19 of chapter 2. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 12, it means that they're welcomed into the commonwealth of Israel, the people of God. This happens in Jesus Christ through the gospel. And it's our mystery today. It's, it's, It's our mystery. Because the truth is that you too were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once formerly walked according to the the course of this world, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that was ours, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body that we were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, In our transgressions, in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And not only that, has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in all of the coming ages we would know the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. This is the gospel. The way that the mystery unfolds. The mystery that is clearly revealed that the outcast Gentiles are now united to the people of God. The people of God, even from the Old Testament, in one body. And look at the effects of this in chapter 6. The description here, this language, heirs, inheritors of God's promise. This means that the Gentiles who were far off from God are not only in a good relationship with God, they're not only in a positive relationship with God, by faith they have been made sons and daughters of God. Inheritor language here. Members of the same body. Not just similar In two different bodies, not an inner court and an outer court, not Christians and super-Christians, but one body. Partakers of the promise. And where is this promise? In whom? The promise is in Christ Jesus alone. The great reward and fulfillment of the promise. Reconciliation to the Father in one family through the only begotten Son of God. This is a profound, unifying mystery. Pastor David has said before that when he walks in here on Sunday mornings, he looks out across the worship center and he's really encouraged to see you all, this one body. And that's absolutely right. I just say, like, me too. And I hope for a lot of us as well, absolutely. And one of the reasons is not only that we, I get to look out and see one body, but I also at the same time see such different people, such different members. We are all so different. Some of you all go to school here. Some of you go to school in another county. Some of you are homeschool or private school. or Some of you don't go to school. Some of you work. Some of you have jobs. Some of you are working nights. Some of you are working days. Some of you plan ahead. Some of you do not plan ahead. Some of you are really good at sports. Some of you wish you were really good at sports. We, we have different backgrounds and races and ethnicities. We have different monthly budgets and houses and cars. We have different interests and personalities, and yet we are somehow members of one body. And this isn't strange in one sense. You think about a, a body, okay? A, a, a foot is a very different member of the body than the eye. An armpit is a very different part of the body than the chin. We are all so different. Different giftings, different quirks, and sometimes we drive each other crazy. But what's so amazing, what's amazing is that the whole church full of remarkably different members, even in different times and places, is referred to in this very letter as the bride of Christ, the bride that Christ died for. And that is a mystery. A mystery that unites us, not repulses us apart. Because the truth is, you need one another. And all your differences You need one another. We need each other. The very folks that drive you crazy with different giftings, you need them. And we see just how much we need them in the verses ahead as we look forward to a cosmic witness. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me 
by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace by the working of his power. God made Paul a minister by his grace. It was a work of God's grace. And we hear echoes of this from what we just read in chapter 2. By grace you've been saved through faith. And Paul has been given the ministry that he has by grace. He's continuing what he started in verse 5. Talking about by the Spirit. Paul was made a minister for this gospel by God. All throughout Ephesians we see this language. Paul says over and over again. God has given me this grace. This grace was given to me by God for you. God has made ministers of the gospel who they are and given them the task for the sake of others that the church might grow and expand as those who are far off here and believe and are added to the number. Implications here for any who would believe in this mystery that the mystery being revealed is a work of God. It's not primarily just like a work of us the gospel is only revealed and we are only able to believe by the work of God himself it's not something we invented or made up God revealed and God called his people and his ministers by grace and then we get to something interesting in verse 8 this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh wait, this surely this is the wrong word. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What verse 5, the, the ministry of Christ has been made known, revealed now. The mystery of Christ has been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets unlike in previous generations. Verse 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This must be the wrong word, unsearchable riches. And yet, it's said again, something similar in verse 19, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Has the mystery been revealed or not? Has the mystery been revealed for us to see or not? Which one is it? We're at the why stage right now in my my house with my son. Why? My oldest son, Peter, why? All the time. And sometimes, many times, his whying doesn't even make sense. And the other day, there was a drill on my dresser. And he said, Daddy, what's this? I said, it's the drill. And he said, why is it the drill? Why is it the drill? And he'll do this with all kinds of things. A toothbrush. Why is this a toothbrush? What do you mean, why? It just is. I mean, like, there, there's no why. You're wondering at the wrong things. You're marveling at information that you already have. The mystery's been revealed. It's a drill, son. And yet, what if our problem is just the opposite? Like, what if for us, we wonder at, we we, we fail to wonder at things that we should. We simply think we have a handle on it. Yeah, we got that. It just simply is. Our problem is that we try to so domesticate the gospel that we strip it of its mystery. 
We can become dull to its message. Yeah, I got it. I've heard that one before. I've heard it before. Of course, the mystery has been revealed in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's whole point here. But recall for yourself, when you first experienced, when you were first saved by Jesus, your eyes were open to see the mystery. In that moment, you want to tell everyone. Like, you can't stop telling people. You're overwhelmed by this mystery. But over time, it's like we kind of become accustomed to it. You start to almost assume your own salvation. The zeal that you once had fades. You, you, we, you can even get to a point where you think you've mastered it. You, you kind of, you dignify it. You dignify that zeal. Not many of us would verbalize this, but we feel it. We feel it. What about when you cease to be in awe of the mystery of the gospel because the gospel mystery has just simply been revealed? It's Jesus. Yeah, we know. The plan has been revealed. Is there a kind of mystery that is so great and so profound and so jaw-dropping that even after it is clearly revealed, our jaws still drop? A mystery that even after it is revealed, it loses none of its stunning power. In fact, it becomes even more stunning. Imagine if you were at the Grand Canyon and you look out across its 277 miles into into its 6,000 foot depths. And you're standing at the edge and you think, and you say, how? How How did this happen? And the tour guide behind you said, well, it's because of uh, tectonic plates, upshift in the tectonic plates, and because water has gone through this canyon for a long time and eroded. You, you don't say, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I'm going home now. No. The mystery revealed didn't make it any less stunning, such as God's mystery. And not only is God's mystery even more stunning when revealed in Christ, it is perpetually and ever increasingly stunning. It's why we can worship on Sunday morning week after week after week. We've been doing the Sunday morning worship thing for a long time. It's why 10,000 reasons for our hearts to sing is a drop in the ocean of God's grace. It is why... Whenever the waters of this baptistry are stirred, our hearts are stirred with it. These testimonies never get old. They're added to the witness of this congregation. We get more and more excited. See, even in its revealing and its knowability, God's riches are unsearchable. If you cease to marvel and wonder at the mystery on this side of the revealed gospel, You actually understand the gospel less and not more. Those mysteries that still call us to wonder even when, even if in their revealings, like even after they're revealed, those are the best ones. Those are the best mysteries. In fact, they're the mysteries that you need most. Oh God, help us to see to never cease wondering 
at the mystery revealed in Christ. In verse 8, he goes on, he continues, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach these unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul is preaching this unfolding mystery that was all part of God's plan now revealed in Christ. And this mystery you saw here is for everyone. And that's really good news for you as you sit here today. That means there's not a category of, of us, of, of you who can say like, ah, that Jesus thing, the gospel thing's not really for me. No, this was a message given to Paul for the preaching to go out to everyone. Everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? This mystery was planned. It's not accidental. It's not the kind of mystery like you're, you're trying to get out your house really quick and you set your keys down somewhere and then you can't find them. It's not an accidental mystery. It was a planned mystery in God who created all things. He brings creation up. The, the reason is because the mystery of the gospel revealed in the face of Jesus Christ was not something he tacked on later. Let me get through the, 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 you know, the six days of creation here and I'll, I'll worry about the, the redemption part later. No, from before the beginning, the mystery of Christ was indeed planned. In fact, God created all things in and around and through this mystery. The universe exists to magnify the mystery of Christ. Now here is where the passage takes a kind of unexpected turn. Uh, There are some things that are about to be said that we just don't naturally see coming. Verse 10, verse, well, back to verse 9, he says he's preaching this gospel to bring to light for everyone what's the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known, revealed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me say the obvious. This is shocking. God's manifold wisdom would be on display for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How? Through the church. Now, what does that mean, that the authorities in the heavenly places? Is this, maybe this is just mere poetic language, or, or, or maybe it's this sort of hyperbolic pep talk that Paul's giving. Yeah, guys, our message, it's going to reach to the stars sort of thing. No. Paul means what he says here. He doesn't explicitly name the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly places, but we are led to think that this refers to spiritual authorities. Even as we look at the rest of the context of Ephesians, angelic beings, heavenly creatures, perhaps those who both obey God and those who don't. Angelic beings in the heavenly places, angels, demons, they marvel at this. What we do know, though, is that this is cosmic spiritual language and that what God is doing in the church is a cosmic witness 
to the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 11 clarifies, this is no accident. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized or caused to be realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church. A cosmic witness. But maybe you're sitting here today and that's not really what the church feels like to you. Maybe you don't really see it that way. Listen, when, when you peel in here at 10.07 and your kids are wearing different shoes, you're trying to get, or maybe they're good, but you're wearing different shoes. You're trying to get out in the, the chaos of a Sunday morning and you're checking your kids into journey and you're, you're scarfing down your coffee on your way in and you're grabbing the, the bulletin and your connect card and inserts are falling out all over the, the pew and just the... the In those days, in these days, something cosmic is happening here. When you gather in this family, it is a collective witness that is going out to the cosmos. Something something cosmic is happening even in, especially in, the imperfect intricacies of your own chaotic world. We are part of something that is both nearer and further than you can fathom. And in the trenches of your life, and yet the cosmos looks in at this and marvels. Don't misunderstand. Of course, the church is full of imperfect sinners, saved by grace. The church is made up of individuals who live with the presence of sin in their lives. And sometimes that can lead to hurting one another. You are not perfect. You have hurt others, and others have hurt you. But that's part of why what we just read is so jaw-dropping, is so mysterious. I just don't see that something cosmic, I just don't feel like that something cosmic is happening in the church. When I was a student, uh, my youth minister was uh, was counseling me uh, one day, and I just remember this uh, He was working me through some sins and some own kind of self-pity and guilt stuff that I was struggling with. And after like an hour, I mean, and I just keep saying like, yeah, I just don't feel like that, Matt. I just don't feel like this. He stopped me and he cut me off and he said, yeah, but it's true. But it's true. This is sort of the, the brother or sister to Pastor David. Stop it. It's, yeah, but it's true. Brothers and sisters, when you can't see something gloriously cosmic happening in the church, know that the angels see it and they marvel. Know that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places are knowing and seeing the manifold wisdom of God because of how Christ works through his church. It is indeed quite a mystery. Quite a mystery. And as we look towards the the end of this passage, we see a love unsearchable. And we return to where we began. Now remember, Paul was doing something before he was interrupted by himself. By the way, aren't you so thankful that Paul interrupts himself? Aren't you so thankful that Paul interrupts himself? 
But now we see with this question, back to this question, what is he doing before he interrupted himself? What incredible, bold, powerful thing is the great apostle Paul doing on behalf of you Gentiles? What is it? Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees before the Father. This is, this is it. This is what he's going to do. Does that disappoint you? I hope not. He comes, this, this whole passage is leading to a pleading, to a crying out, to an asking. Paul, who was, has been saying over and over again, God has granted me grace to preach this message. He's, been given, he's given me this grace for you, is now saying, I am going to pray that God would grant you all something. He would grant something according to the riches of his glory for you. And here is that thing. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Sounds familiar. This is our prayer for the year. His prayer is that you may be strengthened by God's power to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and height and depth of God's love that surpasses knowledge. It is a mystery how Christ works in and through his church But see that you are not called to just individually marvel at the mystery revealed in Christ. You are called to collectively marvel at the the mystery revealed in Christ. This is why the Gentiles in the body language, it frames this passage, why it's so important. If you are not actively a member of a church body, If you sever yourself from the church, your capacity to marvel at God's mystery revealed in Christ will shrink. That's how God made it. You're not not meant to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge without the bride whom he loves. And know too that that's not just a one-to-one, by the way. That's not just, okay, I came for an hour, poof, I, I know the, the, the height and breadth and depth of, of his love. No, the power of God working in the church is what enables you to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depths of the mysteries of Christ's love. It happens when you bear your heart to one another in your BFGs. It happens when you... Go out with one another and and put the doorknobbers on the doors and tell people about Jesus and invite them here. It happens when we all bind together for a week to proclaim the excellencies of the glory of Christ to hundreds of children during VBS. It happens when you take meals to those who are in need in our congregation. It happens when you serve alongside one another in a variety of different ways. It happens... When with tears on your face and your knees bowed 
down to the ground. You pray with a brother or sister for the salvation of your wayward child. It happens when we reconcile with one another after we've hurt one another. As we are in the trenches together, though it may not feel like it, we are experiencing and learning the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. As we pour out, we are being filled. As we serve together on the surface, we are being rooted underneath. So when we pray, let us be rooted. Our prayers are not just a nice little platitude of unity. This prayer that we pray is one of extreme cosmic significance. You know why we pray this together? It's because we need it. It's because we need it. In fact, it's what we need most to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. What you need most defines you. And for us, it must always be the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. But how long does that take? How long does it take to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? You can know this love today, and yet you will learn it for eternity, which says something about this family here today. This imperfect, quirky, unusual family full of all kinds of different people. Brothers and sisters, you will be learning the riches of Christ's love with and through one another for all eternity. Our roots never stop growing into the eternal love of Christ, which is why in the end, the unity and building of the church is not just hopeful, it is certain. The grounds of our unity is in a battle that has already been won. It's in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it is in a king who will never die again. As we conclude our time together, church family, um, I want us to to pray together, to pray the prayer that we pray each week, but with a renewed sense of just how much we need to pray this together, how much we need the working and the grace of God in this church family to see this glorious mystery as a cosmic witness and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. So would you stand with me this morning as we pray what we pray each week. Let us be rooted. Let's pray together. Let us be rooted and grounded in love that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of Christ.